Episode 11 of the Vince August podcast. Um, Obviously, this one could not wait as this is in response to everything I saw on the news yesterday and today regarding the situation um, with Staten Island, New York, and the Garner video um, in which Eric Garner is arrested by, from what I can see in the video, it's at least four officers. There's the, the three standing and the one with the chokehold. Um, I want to start off this podcast by making it very clear as to my background and my conflicts regarding this case. Um, I am currently and still and have been since 1997 a practicing attorney. Since the year 1999, I started practicing as a criminal defense attorney, maybe for one of the top criminal defense attorneys in all of Bergen County. Frank Luciana. I continued as a criminal defense attorney all the way up until 2008, at which time I was appointed as a municipal court judge in the township of South Hackensack, where I sat on the bench for five and a half years. I gave up my position when the Supreme Court advised me that there was a conflict between my being a judge and also working as an entertainer. Um, there's a Supreme Court opinion in the state of New Jersey, which you could look up and will document all of that. I was not forced to resign. I was given a choice. I made the choice to continue to pursue my entertainment career. I have since returned to the practice of criminal defense law. Now, please keep in mind, a lot of people don't realize throughout the time I was a judge, I still maintained my law practice. I have been an attorney continually from The time I was admitted to the bar, New Jersey 1996, New York 1997, all the way to the present, 17 years, going on 18. I am in good standing in New York and New Jersey. I've completed all my continuing legal education credits. In fact, I am going to be instructing a continuing legal education course on December 31st. I'm part of the panel of instructors. I have had one, two, three, four clients that have been police officers. In fact, I had lunch with one of these clients a week ago. He took me out to lunch. Um, I have an incredible relationship with many police departments. In fact, this past September, I performed as a stand-up comedian at a fundraiser at an event in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey, to raise money for the Body Armor Fund. I also did an event last year, I think it was in November or December, to raise money for the PBA, and I think it was for widowed um, wives. Um, I have done a lot of work with police officers. Um, I have worked closely with them as a fundraiser, and as a judge, I had a lot of interaction with the officers in the town. I can tell you right now, I am friends with many police officers. So let me just get that out there right now so you know what my conflicts are when I tell you my opinion of this case. I watched the video um, that showed the, the choke in the scenario. More importantly, the video that I think is even more telling, and it is... Um, 
it is edited in the sense that they have the person who recorded the video giving their two cents on on what they saw and their opinion on it. So it, it it's been altered to the to the extent that it provides information other than what you're seeing in the arrest, which is one person's point of view. And you can find that video on time.com, Time Magazine's website, time.com. Um, the article that has the video is Time Talks with the Man Who Filmed the Fatal Incident on Staten Island. This was updated July 23rd, 2014. I had a chance to see that video. I have not had an opportunity to review anything from the grand jury. So I am basing my decision purely on the information that I've seen in the video, on my background as a lawyer, a judge, my relationship with police officers. And I can tell you, I was surprised that there was not an indictment brought in Ferguson. I was shocked there was not an indictment brought in this case. Absolutely, positively shocked. I mean, I actually watched this video, watched what happened, and I cannot explain for the life of me how this case does not bring back an indictment. Let me go over Ferguson and explain to you my position on Ferguson. And this will help lead into the Garner situation. I reviewed, I'm going to say about 60% of the evidence that was presented to the grand jury. I stopped at 60%. And I'm going to explain to you why I stopped at 60%. I was looking to do two things as I was reviewing the materials. I was looking for enough probable cause to have an indictment returned by a grand jury. And I found that. And, and I found that, I'm going to say, about 40% of the way in. At about 40% of the way in, I continued reading because I wanted to see you know, where the evidence was going with regards to a potential trial. And I could tell you at 40%, I already had questions. About halfway through the material, I'm going to tell you I had reasonable doubt. At about 60% review of the material, I had more than reasonable doubt. I don't believe in my legal assessment as a lawyer, as a former judge. I don't believe as a human being, if I sat on a jury, based on just the evidence that I read, and it's only 60%, and, because, and I stopped at that point for a reason, I already had reasonable doubt. I had beyond reasonable doubt. I had doubt that this was as cut and dry because of all the conflicting testimony that as it's being presented in the media by some that this officer would have been found guilty and convicted at a trial. And I'm going to tell you something right now. With regards to the federal investigation, bringing a federal civil rights action against the officer in Ferguson I think is going to be absolutely futile. The level and standard of proof to bring that type of case and the facts that you need to bring a federal civil rights violation would be such a high standard because you have to show that the officer 
acted in a way that was knowing intentional and it was a knowing intentional violation of a specific federal right that Michael Brown had and that it was not just a case of a police officer involved in an altercation with a defendant that resulted in a death. You have to show that he was racially motivated, had some other motivation that was tied to a civil right that was being violated. Really tough, really tough. I don't see a federal case being brought against that officer in Ferguson. So that's Ferguson. Now, Ferguson is also tied to something that the media is attaching itself to and a lot of the people and the protesters have attached themselves to, which is an image. Media is, for the most part, a, a television medium now. A lot of people don't listen to the radio for their news anymore. A lot of people, it's internet, it's television. And one of the great visuals coming out of Ferguson is hands up, don't shoot. And people walking around, including the St. Louis Rams football players that came up, hands up, don't shoot. If you look at the evidence in Ferguson, there's contradictory testimony with regards to that issue. Now, again, let me go back to my original statement. As an attorney, could I have presented that case to a grand jury to return an indictment? Absolutely, positively, I think I could have done it. I think I could have done it. And I am by no means an authority or a, you know this high-profile criminal defense attorney. I, I think I'm really good at my job. I think I do my job well. And I think based on my experience, I could have got an indictment in that case. The grand jury works, and I explained it before. I'm going to explain it again. A prosecutor looks at the facts and the evidence of the case. The prosecutor then assesses a criminal statute, a criminal code violation to the facts of that case. The prosecutor then stands before a grand jury and says, on such and such date, an officer attempted to apprehend an individual. During the apprehension of that individual, events unfolded and the individual was shot several times, including two fatal shots. During the course of that arrest, there was time, space, and distance for the officer to take an action other than firing fatal shots. Here is the statute that applies to whatever it may be, manslaughter, reckless homicide, murder. You can pick any of the statutes. You pick the statute that those facts fit. You're going to get an indictment. Now, people say, well, what about all the other facts? What about the facts he was attacking the officer? He was charging him. A grand jury is not a trial. A grand jury is not the place for all of the evidence and all of the facts to come into light. Now, this is part of the problem with the grand jury system. Again, and I said this in an earlier podcast, the running joke with most criminal defense attorneys is you can indict a ham sandwich. Ham sandwich can't commit a crime, but you can get an indictment on a ham sandwich if you really wanted to. Our grand jury system, the way things are presented by a prosecutor, are done so to return indictments to see that all these cases go to trial. 
So herein lies the problem with our grand jury system. Either we are indicting way too many people and we need to change the grand jury process. Now, understand, in the state of New Jersey, a defendant does not have an opportunity, nor does defense counsel, to present any information to a grand jury. As a defense counsel, we are kept out of the grand jury system. We are kept out of the room. We have no involvement. In fact, we have to order the grand jury minutes and pay for the transcript as part of our discovery when we get ready to prepare our criminal defense case. I'm waiting for a set of grand jury minutes right now in a case. So we have to order that transcript, pay for the transcript, and then review what was presented exactly. So I've seen grand jury minutes. I know the way these cases are presented. They're presented in a very slanted way. You don't get all the information. So herein lies the problem. Either we need to change the grand jury system to allow defense counsel to be able to be present or we have to change the rules of what information is presented to a grand jury so a grand jury has more information as opposed to just one very biased point of view or we need to have someone else involved in the grand jury system other than the prosecutor's office that is looking to return a grand jury indictment Or all three of them. Or all three. So we have the grand jury level. Now the case either gets indicted or doesn't. Let's take that system and put it into play with police officers. The prosecutor that is bringing the case before a grand jury works with police officers. One way or another, in one capacity or another, just about every day. A prosecutor's job is to prosecute state claims. State claims arise from arrests from police officers. Therefore, the prosecutor is in direct relationship, direct contact with police officers. Is there a conflict of interest for a prosecutor? to bring a claim against a police officer if, in fact, that is who he works, he or she works with on a regular and consistent basis. In my mind, absolutely no question about it. You can't have someone who works with a group of people as part of their system then say, well, I've got to prosecute one of you and not expect or think that there is some sort of bias involved. Now, I just told you my involvement with police officers, clients, former clients, consistent, present clients, and I told you how I sat as a judge, and I could tell you right now, there were cases I found defendants not guilty where the officer may have been upset But I laid down a fact scenario based upon the testimony that hopefully that officer left the room, left that courtroom saying, yeah, I get it. I found certain defendants guilty and I was I've been appealed three times. And in fact, the last appeal just came through this week. I was affirmed every time, twice by the appellate division. And in fact, the Supreme Court just denied a writ to have a case go to the Supreme Court because they found that the lower courts were right all along the way.
So I've been upheld on every one of my decisions, and I'm very proud of that because I broke each case down. And I'm telling you right now, I was as fair and down the line a judge. Now, you have to understand, I'm a judge coming from a criminal defense perspective. That's where I started. And I sat on that bench, and I was down the middle because I served the criminal bar, the criminal defense bar. At the same time, if I see someone did something that was wrong, hey, that's guilty. Now, let me get into that aspect of this briefly. A prosecutor, as an attorney, has an obligation to see that justice is done. Much like as a defense attorney, my obligation is to see that justice is done. The rules were followed. My job is not to get a victory. My job is to see that justice is done the same as the prosecutor. This idea and notion we both want to win is part of the problem with the system. This notion of victory for one side or the other is part of the problem with the system. And it's part of the problem with the entire legal system. But because money is at stake, because reputation is at stake, it removes a lot of compromise. And I will tell you right now, as an attorney, when a client sits in front of me, whether it's a divorce case, whether it's a personal injury case, whether it's a criminal defense case, as an attorney, and, and we all do it, most, listen, the best attorneys do it. You assess your client's credibility. You assess where your client is coming from and understand there's an entire different version of that story. Now, that doesn't mean that we are skeptical of our clients and dismiss what our clients are saying because if that's the case, I'll tell you right now what I do. I tell the person sitting in front of me, I'm not interested in this case and I have rejected cases. I have turned down cases that I say, you know what? I'm not buying this. I'm sorry, I'm just not buying this. If I believe my client, I still realize there's another side to this story. And I have to look into what that potential other side is. I have to review all of the evidence, all of the information. I don't immediately assume my client in a divorce case is the victim's spouse who did nothing wrong and was the perfect husband or perfect wife. In a personal injury case, I don't assume that my client is so debilitated from this injury, from this accident, and that there isn't some other cause or effect to this potential accident, such as their past, their history. What did they do before this accident? Were they an athlete? Were they involved in other accidents? Did they have other injuries? You have to make a full assessment. As a prosecutor... You have to make a full assessment of a case. You have to be able to look at a police officer and realize it didn't necessarily happen the way they're telling you. Much like as a defense attorney, I've got to realize it didn't necessarily happen the way my client is saying. There's a truth out there. We have to fit the truth into the rules. That's our legal system. Throw in this need to win. Throw in the greed factor of trying to maximize personal injury awards. Throw in the greed factor. Throw in the ego factor of trying to wipe out your adversary and the other spouse in a divorce case. And the system goes amok. 
There's the problem with the system. It's, for whatever reason, become a winner-take-all, and that's not what it should be. Now, let's get to Garner and what happened in Staten Island. Again, I urge you to please go to the Time website, time.com, and look up this video. What I am seeing is an individual who is making a statement, I didn't do anything wrong. There are two officers absolutely present on the scene. Two other officers show up. Within a couple of minutes, you got a Rose Bowl parade of cops there. You, there's a lot of police officers on scene. Did Eric Garner resist arrest? Did he refuse to want to be handcuffed and arrested? Yes, he did. He did not want to be arrested. He was being vehement and adamant about the fact he did not want to be arrested. Does that justify, with all of those officers there, confrontation from the officer, specifically the one in the green shirt with the number 99 on the back with the, the short, the tan shorts, does that justify him? attacking Eric Garner from the rear, putting him in a chokehold, pressing him to the ground, pressing his head on the ground, putting his knee in his neck and head in order to effect an arrest with all of those officers present. In my mind, there's absolutely no justification for that. As a police officer, you have to have the tools, the training, the ability to be able to negotiate that situation from a hostile one where you can see Mr. Garner is riled up, he's adamant about the fact he did nothing wrong, to a compromise. And this is where I'm building from. Again, compromise. It doesn't have to be, put your hands behind your back right now, or I'm going to choke you, I'm going to take out my gun, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to this. No. Mr. Garner, I understand you're telling me you didn't do anything wrong. Here is what I saw you doing wrong. Here is the statute I think you're violating. I, for me, from what I'm seeing from the video, never hear Mr. Garner. I saw you do this. It's in violation of this code of this statute. I'm advising you of your rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you. You have the right to be represented by an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, we can provide an attorney for you. Do you understand these rights? Yes, no, but I didn't do anything. Mr. Garner, you possibly have a defense to this case. Then you're right. You didn't do anything. But I have to process you. I have to bring you down to the station. I'm going to give you a complaint. We're going to let you go. And then get attorney We'll provide an attorney, and we'll discuss this at a later time. Now, if you explain all of that, and he is still resisting, at that point, you have to advise him, Mr. Garner, if you're going to resist arrest, I will be forced to use physical force to subdue you in order to effect an arrest. Physical force in that situation still does not involve violating the rights of the individual in front of you, by shooting them or putting them in a legal chokehold. My point is, 
as police-friendly as I may be, I'm watching this video and I'm trying to justify four cops on top of this guy, one with a chokehold. When the guy starts screaming and he's on the ground, I can't breathe. When he says it the first time, you don't react, fine. When he says it the second time, why doesn't one of these cops, one, two, three, four, five, six, why doesn't one of them say, guys, get off of him, let him breathe. We got him. He's not going anywhere. We got him. Not one of them saw an opportunity to do that. Instead, one of the cops is worried about the guy filming the incident and standing in front of him and crowd control. I, I'm, I'm sorry. And again, I, you know, I listen, I know it's a tough job. I do. And I know you're put in harm's way. I get it. I really do. And I'm very sympathetic to your job as an officer. And I know what it, I know when you walk into a domestic violence, into a home, you don't know if a wife is going to attack you, a husband's going to attack you. I Listen, I was in court yesterday. I was in the Bergen County Superior Court yesterday, and there was a domestic violence court, and the husband lost his mind, and sheriff's officers had to run to the courtroom to subdue this individual. I'm going to tell you right now, as a judge, I remember sitting on a bench and one of my officers coming in and I saw his shirt ripped and he had a, a red mark under his eye and his, his cuff, his, the, the button was gone on his cuff. I looked at him. I said, officer, you okay? He said, we just had a little problem with somebody who's in the holding cell. I said, let me come talk to him. I went back and he was handcuffed in the holding cell, calm. The officer obviously was attacked. This individual wasn't choked. This individual wasn't shot. There was obviously an altercation. My officer's in front of me, bruise on his face, ripped shirt, ripped sleeve, went in there, did his job. I went in the cell with this individual, stood there with my robe on, said, hey, you calm? You all right? You understand what you did here? We're going to read your charges, but right now I need you to cool off. So I'm going to keep you in this cell until you're cooled off. Then I'm going to bring you in. I can't bring you into a courtroom full of people while you're attacking officers. So sit here, cool off. By the time he came into the courtroom, he was a different person. There's a way to handle the situation. Now, do not compare Ferguson and Garner. These are two completely different situations. We have a situation where it's a one-on-one. There's a struggle for a weapon. There's all kinds of evidence. And, and I will, if you wanted the link to all of the, the evidence that was presented to the grand jury, I'll be more than happy to email it to you. Send me a message via Twitter, via Facebook, and I will send you the link to all of the discovery in the case. You can read it and you can make your assessment as opposed to just getting your law degree through CNN and Fox. Make an educated decision before you just start spewing stuff that you're hearing from someone else. Garner, Eric Garner's situation, Michael Brown's situation are night and day different. I can't find any... Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I watched... It's a three and a half minute video. uh, Three minutes and 50 seconds on the Time website. It's disturbing. It really... And I have to tell you, it, it actually... It will make some people get emotional. 
it will actually get some people to be very emotionally disturbed and upset that Eric Garner had to die. I really find a problem with that. With regards to the reaction, and I'm getting back now to protests and the march in New York City, you've got to be careful. People that are looking for change, listen to me. Yesterday, after I went to court in the morning, I went to an assemblywoman's office in Englewood, Assemblywoman Tuttle. Sat there with one of my clients as we are trying to get legislation passed in the state of New Jersey that would force pet groomers to become licensed because they're not licensed yet. Because I've had multiple cases in which pets have died at the hands of a groomer. And there's no licensing or authority or any requirements for these people to get licensed in order to perform that service. My client is leading a crusade to get these people licensed. I sat with an assemblywoman. We reviewed the bill. CBS News was there. We discussed this bill, and it's before the assembly committee today in the state of New Jersey in Trenton. It has taken us a year to get to this point. Once it goes before the committee, then it will go before the floor for a vote. Then from there, hopefully it will make its way through all the way to the governor's desk. It's a long process. There is a process. By marching down the West Side Highway and stopping traffic for several hours, I want you to think about the effect of that. Here is what you have done to hundreds of people trying to get home after a long day of work, trying to get to work and earn a living. You are imprisoning them in their vehicles. They are now in their cars, locked doors, not moving, looking around them at all of these people swarming their vehicles. And I can bet you more than half of those people in fear, in fear for their own safety and well-being as to whether or not you are going to get violent and riot the way they did in Missouri. Now, from what I understand, there was no incidents in New York last night. However, you still created a situation where people were trapped in their cars for several hours. You are going to lose the sympathy of those people in this crusade because I can bet you if you ask those people how they felt about their safety and if they were looking for police officers, please let me see that there's a cop here just in case this gets crazy. They were looking for the exact thing you are protesting against. They are looking for the people to protect them that you have issue with. Think about the scenario and the situation you're creating there. You are putting people in a position to choose between justice and their own safety and well-being. And right at that point, you know what they're thinking? Screw Eric Garner. I need a cop because I need to make sure that I don't get hurt 
by one of these people surrounding my car. And I'm telling you right now, I would not feel comfortable in that situation. I think I'm, I'm, I'm capable of physically handling, handling myself in many situations. I would feel uncomfortable being locked in my car, surrounded by people, knowing there's no flight opportunity for me. I can't hit the gas. I'm going to crash into the person in front of me. Can't go reverse and go backwards. I'm going to hit the person behind me. I'm going to possibly run somebody over. If someone jumps on the hood of my car, what is my option? If somebody smashes my window, what is my option? Now I'm trapped in my vehicle. Once I get out of my vehicle, now I'm surrounded and outnumbered. That is the fear and trepidation you are putting into the people. Whether or not you acted it out, whether or not it was peaceful or not, you created that type of environment. You could get the same effect by standing in front of City Hall. You can get the same effect by standing in Times Square. You can get the same effect by doing that at Rockefeller Center. You can get the same effect by doing that on the steps of the courthouse, so long as you don't prevent people from going in and out of court. You can do that at the mayor's office. You could do that at police headquarters. There's a lot of places you can do that and not interfere with the public at large who in the end you are going to need to help this legislation and all of this stuff get passed. Because if people start calling up and saying, listen, man, I I can't drive back and forth to New York anymore because I'm stuck in my car for three hours. This is ridiculous. I can't get to work. Why? Because there's a protest going on. You got to handle this the right way. This takes time. And I'm telling you, this is a very big process to go through. This is not simple. I, I have somebody posting on my Facebook page, uh, Dana Snagaki, saying special prosecutor, simple. And we went back and forth and we had a, a Facebook dialogue. And my answer to her wasn't the special prosecutor idea is bad. It's the word simple. This is not simple. This is complicated. This is extremely complicated. And again, this is not a black-white issue. Stop making this a race issue. It's not a black-white issue. Watch the video on time. You're going to see three people going through this. One of them is white at the end of the video. This is a police training issue. This is a police citizen issue. There is a disconnect between police officers and the people and the towns they are patrolling. They have been placed in vehicles. No one's walking a beat anymore. They have been distanced from us. They are writing tickets. Their entire criteria for protect and serve has been changed. Their training has been changed. They are getting much more equipment. They are much more, they, they look like Marines rather than police officers. There's a reason for that. It's the relationship breakdown between police officer and citizen. That's where this problem starts. It starts there. How do we fix it? We have to get people involved, civilians involved, in police academies to let these police officers know, some of them coming straight out of college, that have never really had any interaction with the public because, you know what, they haven't been in the private sector. They haven't worked in the private sector. 
So they don't know what it is to be a person who goes to work and comes home. And sometimes, you know what? You roll through a stop sign. It's not the worst thing in the world. You pull that person over. You treat them with respect and dignity. All they did is roll through a damn stop sign. Listen, I have a client that I represented in a municipal court in a very affluent neighborhood. White woman in her 50s got pulled over for a motor vehicle infraction. She's the most non-threatening looking person you will ever find. When she came to my office, she said to me, you know, one of the things that disturbed me the most was that the officer walked to, my, walked to the vehicle with his hand on his gun. She goes, are you kidding me? She goes, and then as I handed him my credentials, he kept his hand on his gun. Look at me. I'm a 55-year-old frail woman. What am I going to do? Are you kidding me? And I explained to her, listen, you know what? These guys, they walk up on certain situations they don't understand. Now, he happened to walk along the driver's side. He should have walked along the passenger side of the vehicle so he can get a better line of vision into the vehicle. See that she was not a threat. She immediately complied with his request. Take your hand off your gun, officer. This is not that stop. There comes a point in time you have to realize this is not that stop. This isn't a drug dealer. This is not a person committing a high crime. Okay? You kidding me? You need civilians involved in police training at certain levels so you know what? You can hear what it is to be a private citizen dealing with police officers. So we have sympathy towards each other because you know what? Again, my client doesn't understand that sometimes officers come up on a police vehicle and you don't know what you're walking up to. But there comes a point in time, take your hand off your gun. Again, mutual respect and understanding of the function each of us are performing in the society. You got to respect and understand each other. Otherwise, we're going nowhere. So get civilians somehow involved in the police process. Hey, listen, when I had to go before the advisory committee on ethics on my case, seven lawyers, two civilians, two non-lawyers are on that committee so that it's not just taken from that perspective. So it starts there. It starts in police training. Then it goes to continuing education, continuing training of police officers. Make them go back. I got to do continuing legal education credits. I have to make sure I get 24 in every two years. 12 of them have to be live courses. I can't just do this stuff online. I have complied and then some. Usually have more credits. Because as you learn, you start to say to yourself, you know what, I'm enjoying these courses. Let me go back for more. Keep these officers educated. Keep them involved in continual, continual training. Now, people out there, the public, you protest, you march. How many of you protesters and marchers get your jury notice in the mail and say, oh, God, how am I going to get out of this? And you immediately start calling people like me. Can you get me out of jury duty? No, I can't go. That's my answer to every single person. You know that every time I get a call, whether I was a lawyer or a judge, hey, I just got a jury notice. Can I get out of jury duty? No, you can't. Can you do anything? No, I can't. Even if I could, I wouldn't. It is your civic responsibility to sit on a jury. When you don't want to get involved with the jury system, when you don't want to give up three weeks of your life to sit on grand jury, and then these decisions come out and you start marching and protesting, you're to blame. You're partially to blame. This is your fault. You don't want to get involved with the system? Well, this is what happens with the system. 
You have to take some of the responsibility. Again, go back to responsibility. Take some of the responsibility for not wanting to get involved in a system that you apparently all of a sudden think has failed and you hate so much. Now you can't stand the system? What, the system that you don't want to be a part of? The system you don't want to be involved with? Where's your blame in this? Because I guarantee you, you have some too. Take some responsibility for it. So now when you get your jury notice, go. Go. I can't do it. I'm going to miss time from work. Then don't complain. Then don't complain. It's like voting. You don't like who's sitting in Congress? You don't like who's sitting in a governor's mansion? You don't like who's sitting in a president's office? Did you vote? No? Too bad for you. You don't have a right to complain. Did you get involved with local government? No? Too bad for you. You don't have a right to say anything. I get involved. I get involved. I got involved with, with this year's election. Took a side of a candidate. Pissed some people off doing it. Hey, that's the guy I wanted to see win. I got involved. He won. I'm happy. So don't distance yourself from the system and then say the system doesn't work. Because then you're part of the problem. So when you get a jury notice, go. With regards to juries and grand juries. If we're having such a problem getting people to serve on juries, if the $5 per day and the cup of coffee voucher and the parking voucher isn't enough, let's fix this jury system right now and I have a solution and I've had a solution for a long time. We have a pool of jurors dying to spend time in courtrooms all across this country. You know what they're called? They're called law students. They're called pre-law students. They're called colleges, adults, 18 and older, sitting in classrooms. You want to give them an opportunity to learn? Establish a course, three credits, jury system. And every day they go to the courthouse and they spend full days as jurors. And they become part of the process. This way, people don't talk out of their... But when it comes to, and I'm trying to keep this clean so that this way I don't have to put up any explicit warning stuff on this one because I want everybody to listen to this. So this way people aren't talking out of their backside when it comes to knowing the actual judicial system so that you have had involvement. Look, we don't have a military anymore. Nobody wants to get involved with the military. It's all got to be volunteer. Fine. You know what? The justice system is changing now. Now we're making credited courses in college to put kids in college and kids in law school in courthouses, and become part of a jury system. This way, they see the way this works. There's your pool of jurors. Some some lawyers never see the inside of a courtroom. I don't understand, but you know what? Some lawyers don't practice that way. They're tax attorneys, whatever, real estate attorneys. There are people that never see copyright attorneys. They listen, and they love their job, and God bless them. If you're in law school, you want to get practical experience, You sit on a jury. This way you could see lawyers at work, judge at work. You could see the way cases unfold. Make it part of the curriculum. And we will never have a jury issue again. You want to be a lawyer? This is part of the criteria. You got to spend a semester on a jury. Done. End of story. That takes care of the jury system. And colleges, same thing. So this way, at least we know if you're going through college, if you're going through law school, This is part of your curriculum. This is part of your education. 
you're going to hit a ton of people. And then you don't have to say, I'm going to miss school. I'm going to miss work. No, this is part of your criteria. This is part of your new curriculum. Done. End of story. We just fixed the jury system. With regards to prosecutors and conflicts and appointing a special prosecutor, here's my issue with appointing a special prosecutor. Who's going to appoint a special prosecutor? Who's going to do this job? Is this going to be another political appointee? And who's going to pay him? The state? And now what? This person's going to get a badge as a prosecutor and a prosecutor, a special prosecutor ID? And now which side are they on? Here we go again. Here we go again. How about we get private counsel to get involved? On a per diem basis, you have a pool of attorneys that register themselves as being available as special prosecutors. You get paid on a per diem basis, and they pick names out of the pool. So this way, you know what? Maybe it's not the same one every time. Those attorneys have to get special training, go through continuing legal education to understand a jury system, the grand jury system, and be able to present the case to a grand jury. And you know what? When your name gets pulled, guess what? You're up. Maybe we could do it that way and make it a per diem pay as opposed to, again, appointing another position that becomes corruptible. There are many steps to this. There are many layers to fix this. And you know what? Everybody has to take their responsibility. Police officers, training academies, get civilian involvement. Continuing training for the police officers when they're on the street. Creating a system in each town where people in a community have events with police officers so that you have a more communal relationship between townspeople, citizens, residents, and police officers. So this way, the only interaction between a police officer and a resident and a citizen isn't from police car to either operator of a vehicle or walking down the street or an arrest. So that there's some type of involvement between police officers and civilians other than an arrest. Create a situation where we can get to know the police officers in our town. I should know some of the names of the cops in my town. Because there's some other level of involvement other than I've never been pulled over. I don't know anybody. That's the next level. The grand jury system. Fix it. Fix it. Defendant involvement. Information presented. Make a list of rules of what can be presented, what should be presented, what can't be presented. Much like any other trial. Appoint special prosecutors where there's a conflict of interest. Is it really that hard to implement everything I just said on this podcast? Is it really that hard? Do we have to pick just one thing? Because I think everything I just stated on this podcast could be implemented within a calendar year. A calendar year. And you know what? You fix the system. Not completely. Something always goes wrong. Listen, everybody screws up at a job. Everybody. I don't care who you are. If you're listening to this, have you ever made a mistake at work? Unfortunately, when an officer makes a mistake at work, someone potentially dies. When a doctor makes a mistake, someone potentially dies. When a pilot makes a mistake, 
a lot of people potentially die. There are certain jobs that come where certain people and their actions affect the lives of others. That doesn't mean just because when you make a mistake, no one dies, that no one should make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. We're humans. There is a fix to this. I think I listed a pretty good one. I think this is pretty effective. And if you want to make change and you've heard what I've said and you think this is a good idea, here again, your responsibility. Take responsibility. Share this. Get this information out there. This is my protest. This is me marching down the West Side Highway. This is me trying to make a difference, getting a voice out there. If you agree, spread the word. Get in touch with me and give me, say, Vince, you know what? You have some good ideas. You have some bad ideas. Here's some of my ideas. You know what, Vince? I'm, I'm an assembly person. I'm involved in government. I'm this. You know what? I like what you're saying. Would you work with me and let's get something done? Take an affirmative step because by sitting back and doing nothing, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. And don't start waving fingers, pointing fingers, and saying, well, you know, this is wrong, this is right, cops are getting abused, and people are getting abused, and everything. No, don't take a side if you're not going to get involved. Don't take a side if you're not going to get involved. Well, this was probably the longest podcast, and it, it was for a reason, because I think this issue is very important, and I think it needed to be addressed. And listen, you know what? Again, I, I'm just trying to educate people. I'm trying to raise awareness. I'm trying to make a difference. Hopefully, it's working. Um, Again, share the podcast. Direct people to the podcast. Get people to listen to this. Get people to speak. Get in touch with me. Email me. Message me. Vin, you're wrong. Vin, you're right. How about this? How about, you know what, Vin? I agree with you. What do you think of this idea? I'll put it out there. I name call people. You see me name calling people on this podcast. I will do it. I'm not afraid. Trust me. I'm throwing myself out there in harm's way, giving my opinions. I'm stating my biases and still putting my opinions out there. So, uh, again, trying to get involved, trying to do what's right, hopefully making a difference. Everyone, thank you for listening. You can listen on Podomatic.com, Vince August, iTunes, go to podcast, Vince August. I'm in the news section. As you can tell, this is not meant to be comedy. This is meant to be informative. Hopefully I'm making a difference. Everybody have a great day. And please take responsibility for yourself and the action of others. Thank you.